Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Boston Cage Podcast. Today we have a special guest. I look at him as a mentor, a coach, and a lot of things that you guys see me doing on my platform, I was inspired by this individual. And the way I came to, to know who he was was just kind of surfing the web, looking for answers, and I'm always kind of trying to one-up myself. And in that process, I, I came across a, a webinar that was online, and he was talking, and he was just so nonchalant with it, so laid back, and it just resonated with me. And, and it just made perfect sense exactly what he was doing. So without further ado, introduce to everyone, Ty Cohen, the Kindle King. Hey, man, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. You know, every time I get an opportunity to do one of these things, especially with, with someone um, of your caliber, I jump at it right away. So appreciate you having me here and um i can't wait to hear what i'm gonna talk about yeah yeah definitely i mean i, I got like a million questions for you like i've been saving up these questions to ask you for, for some time so i guess right off rip for the people that don't know who you are who is ty cohen yeah so that's an interesting question i'm, I'm still trying to figure that out you know even after all these years it, it still changes right so i, I started as a, a kid who uh was born in a pretty rough area I grew up in Bridgeport, Connecticut. When you, when you think of Connecticut, uh, you think of farmland, maybe pastures, if you're not familiar with the Northeast, right, in that area. But where we grew up in, in the town of Bridgeport, there's some really rough and notorious areas, Bridgeport, New Haven, Hartford, New, New Haven, uh, Norwalk, um, Stanford, Connecticut, depending on where you're at. So I grew up with the trials and tribulations of trying to walk a straight line when everyone else around me was, you know, doing whatever it required to survive in that area. I was also born with sickle cell anemia. So uh, sickle cell anemia being a chronic disease, something that, especially at that time, right, could end your life early. I was told that I, would, I wouldn't live past the age of 17. Um, out of seven or eight children that my mom had, two of us were born with sickle cell anemia. My oldest sister, Gwen, died from it when she was 27. She passed away. And, you know, I'm, I'm 12 years old and I'm seeing this. And at the same time, around that same time, I was told that I wouldn't live past 17. So that became my reality. Um, thinking that I wouldn't live past the age of 17, I ended up getting into a lot of destructive things, self-destructive as well as destructive to other people. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, I, I, I kind of, my mom and dad were separated. But my dad would always come by, he was into church, and one day I remember him coming by to pick up me and my younger brother, Michael, and him having this book by Les Brown in the backseat of his car. And, and that was very uncharacteristic of my dad as far as I knew him, because he was this, he was this blue-collar guy, he was a, a construction worker, he was a security guard, he was a taxi cab driver. So I never knew him to be into personal development or entrepreneurship. But seeing that book was my first taste of, of, of personal development. Seeing someone like Les Brown, who looked like me, a black man, and uh, he's talking about someone's opinion of you doesn't need to become your reality. 
If you can look up, you can get up, right? So all of these self-empowering things that at 17, I never heard of before. At 17, I'm thinking that everything is doom and gloom because I'm seeing death, drugs, destruction, gangs all around me, and then also living with sickle cell anemia. So seeing that, I, I ended up taking that book, I ended up stealing it out of my dad's car, to be honest with you, um, and, and taking it, man, and, and just reading it like till like two, three o'clock in the morning. And it totally uh, changed the way that I looked at life from then on. It was the initial paradigm shift that required me to go from that point of possibly being another person that would have uh, ended up dead or in jail because of the environment, right? or because of what I perceived to be my only options because I was in that environment, to, to now being able to generate millions and millions and millions of dollars um, and to be able to speak to hundreds of thousands of people across the planet. Uh, so, man, I'm, I'm just excited to be here. Um, I'm always open for the opportunity to talk to someone, and that's where we're at. So, got it, got it, got it. So, so go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, with that, that background and just kind of considering where you came from and kind of where you are today, obviously, there's always a journey to climb to that road to success. So, in this process of your journey, when did you decide to get into Kindle and how did you get into Kindle? Yeah, so that was interesting. So, so I had one real job. I like to call it a real job. And that was working at Walgreens Pharmacy, right? So, I worked at Walgreens Pharmacy. I got that job as part of a summer program when I was 14. At that time in Connecticut, you could be as young as 14 working. And I, I quit it when I was about 24. I got tired of doing that. Um, and I said, you know what? I got to do something else. And I wanted to start a record label at that time. So I thought I was going to be like this, this next uh, Puffy or Master P or, you know, Suge Knight or whoever it would have been with their record label. Did that for a couple of years. The friends that I was involved with, they didn't really take it serious. They would, you know, just still caught up in the environment, to be honest with you, going to jail back and forth and things like that. Um, but I had the knowledge, right? I had the knowledge of how do you start a label? How do you groom your artists? How do you get your artists on, on radio? Because we were, we were seeing a significant amount of radio play in that tri-state area, uh, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Um, how do you uh, set up shows? So I had all of this and it took me years to accumulate that knowledge. And I said to myself, man, there's got to be other people that are looking to start record labels, depending on, you know, where they're at. I'm sure they'll pay for this. And at that time, Amazon had a program and this was timing is so important. Being able to see when things are happening and then being able to say, let me jump on this. I have a saying and that is money loves speed, right? So being able to recognize it and instantly jumping on it. Right. And I think you understand the importance of that as well, because you were just recently on, on my uh, podcast and, and I, I put out failures out there. I said, hey, who wants to be interviewed? And you jumped on it like this. And you said, let's do it tomorrow morning. So going back to that, Amazon had this program at that time called Amazon Advantage. So the Amazon Advantage program was a program where authors who had physical books because it wasn't digital yet could ship their books to Amazon and Amazon would store those books. They would take the orders, they would process the orders and ship the orders and then send you a royalty check at the end of the month for whatever you sold the month prior to that. So I pieced together a couple of books. I'm not a writer, 
failed English 101 not once but twice because of an overachiever, right? And I wanted to make sure I failed it the right way. <laughs> but I, I pieced these books together, uh, had them printed up, right? And shipped them off to Amazon and they did pretty well, man, by, by my standards. I was making a couple of thousand dollars a month with those. And then a while later, Amazon came out with what's known as Kindle Direct Publishing. And that is the ability to sell digital books on their platform. And me not having any type of prior experience with digital Kindle books or eBooks, I was really reluctant, man. I'm like, who's going to buy? Like, I'm used to, re I was used to reading books in a physical format like this, right? I want to dog ear them. I want to mark them up. So I was really reluctant. I said, who's going to, I think this is the stupidest idea ever. Who's going to go in and buy digital books? But I reluctantly, again, wanting to take advantage of the opportunity, uploaded some of my books to Amazon's platform. Uh, I did not pay attention to how well they were doing. I looked maybe about six weeks after that and saw that I made some sales. And it was intriguing. What was intriguing was the fact that I was making sales to people that, number one, I didn't know. So across the planet, right? People that I didn't know. Number two, the fact that I could take something that was intangible and make money off of it multiple times. When I was selling the physical books, in order to make 10 sales, I had to have 10 copies of my books shipped out to Amazon, 10 copies in order to make 10 sales. What the big eye opener for me with digital books was to make 10 sales, I just had to upload this book one time and I could make 10 sales or 10,000 sales by doing that work one time. So it really got the wheels turning and I said, you know what, this is pretty interesting. I started uploading more books. I started testing things like, you know, what price points work the best, uh, cover designs. I started testing things like playing around with the titles, with the descriptions, and just really modeling success, looking at other authors, because again, this was my first uh, entryway into authorship, right? And I know this is a little bit of a long answer, but but also at the same time, I was studying Tony Robbins and Tony Robbins says that if you want to be successful, model someone who already has success. And then his mentor, Jim Rohn says, Hey, if a guy's making $10,000 a month, study him, study what he eats, study what he reads, study how he walks. If he's got this funny walk, start walking funny like him. Cause maybe that'll lead you to $10,000 a month closer. So I started really looking at what the other best-selling books on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles and then Borders at that time, bookstores were, were abundant, right? So I would go in and spend, man, hours in a bookstore just taking notes and just visibly looking at uh, whatever I could. Didn't even know what I was looking for at that time, but knew that if I found similarities between best-selling best books and authors, I need to incorporate those things into my books. And that helped me to get to the point where I'm at now generating upwards of $50,000 a month publishing books on Amazon. So, I mean, yeah, I don't even think that was long winded. I think people need to really understand like the journey that you went through to get to currently where you are. So, I mean, you're talking about, you know, your, your, your revenue streams is about, is about what annually about 3 million, give or take. Yeah. Or, yep. Right. Yep. So to be, publishing, yeah. be at $3 million on an annual rotation basis coming from you were a manager at a pharmacy. Right. Yeah. And, right. and then stepping into this space, it, that's a hell of a journey, a hell of a transition. So in that transition, when did you really start realizing that, okay, 
I'm selling a couple books. I could really scale. I could really multiply this and I can go from maybe a couple hundred bucks to 50,000 or 10,000. When did that actually happen in this process? Yeah, man. So, so I'll tell you two things, right? So there's always these, these shifts, these things that happen in life and you, you get these aha moments, right? You get, you get, you get these moments where, where something happens up here or here and you have to stop and write those things down. You have to stop and take notice of them. And then you have to immediately put those, those ideas, those things into, into, into action. So a few things happened. So the first thing was when I first got my almost $10,000 a month royalty check from Amazon, um, I was talking to a friend of mine who you actually met, Jawar, right? Definitely. At the time. And uh, I remember the story so vividly, man. I was, I was, it was the morning when I was going to take my mom breakfast. I would try to take her breakfast as, as, much, as, time, as much as possible. Mom was from South Carolina. She liked like old school breakfast, man, like the grits and the fish and all of that other stuff. So I, I would take her breakfast and then stop by my post office box to pick up my mail. And I remember picking up my mail and I had my royalty check from Amazon and it was in the amount of like $9,800. Now I think I'm doing something at that point. I think I'm the man. I'm making $10,000 a month, right? Um, and to the point where the hunger starts to subside. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like $120,000 a year, I'm good. So I called Jawar up and I'm like, man, I, I just got a check from Amazon for sort of $9,800 something dollars. And, you know, me and Jawar were accountability partners at the time, both having these goals of where we want to get, which is why it's so important to have someone in your life that's going to tell you when you're slacking, when you're on point, when you can do better, when you're not reaching your full potential. So I'm, I'm excited. I think this is going to motivate him. Hey, Jawar, just made $10,000. You know, Amazon just sent me this check. What do you think he said to me? <laughs> Knowing Jawar, he probably looked at you and said, why is it not $30,000? He, he, and, and not so many words. He said, Ty, you're bullshit. I don't know if you're curious on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> but he said, Ty, you're bullshit. Now, he didn't say it from a, a hater standpoint. He said it from a standpoint of, I know what your potential is. Don't settle for ten thousand a month. You could be doing doing you know thirty thousand, fifty thousand a month, and that was what I had told him. I said my goal was to get to fifty thousand dollars. So in a sense, he's saying, yeah, you know, ten thousand is fine, but you told me you were getting getting to fifty thousand or thirty thousand, whatever it was, right? So accountability is so important in in both ways. We have to be open to having someone correct us. Right. And, 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 and correct our ship when we start to get off course, when we tell someone, listen, my goal is to, you know, be a better father or be a better mom or be a better coach or better student. And that person being able to look from the outside and because sometimes we're so close, we don't see it and say, hey, hey, you, you, you're, you're getting off course, man. You need to correct. So that's the first point, right? Having someone that's open to correcting us. And then the most important is being receptive of that, mm-hmm. right? And I, hey, I, I know what I'm doing. Stop, you know, stop checking me. I, I, don't tell me what to do. You have to, hey, thank you. I appreciate that. Hmm. Because after he said that, you asked me, right? What, what, at what point did I realize that this was something that I could scale? And it was at that moment hmm. when he said, 
10,000 is fine, but Ty, you're not living up to your potential. I immediately, uh, I was in the park at that time. I was about to go for a walk, right? And kind of celebrate in my head. After I hung up the phone, I immediately drove, and it's so ironic, I drove to a Walgreens, which was uh, right up the street. And um, I went in and bought a pack of notepads. And then I went back to the park and I wrote out my entire plan of how I'm going to get to the $30,000 a month. I said, okay, it doesn't need to just be me. It doesn't need to be just me and one writer. I need to now have a team of writers. I need to have some editors on board. I need to have graphic designers that I consistently work uh, with. I need to have a plan for researching and modeling the books that I want to go in and publish and do this in, in, in a uniformed way. Because before I was just flying by the seat of my pants. Mm -hmm. You know, so systems is the other thing. So the first thing, modeling, right? So modeling success. And then the other thing is having a system for modeling that success. And, it, and you could apply this stuff to anything. You, you, can, you could look at, I, I know you had uh, my good friend Greg Caesar on, right? I think that Greg is a great example of someone who cherishes his marriage and who does really well at that. So if you want to become a better husband, you can model someone that's successful at that and create a system that's going to help you to develop those habits, right? So you say, Hey, I see he gets her flowers, you know, out of the blue. I see that he'll send her a text. Hey baby, I love you. You know, I see that, you know, he'll, he'll come in and he'll intimately rub her back or something like that. All things that you may not have noticed before, mm -hmm. but now you can go in and you can, you can say, okay, I noticed that these things are done. I'm going to start doing these things. I'm going to do them habitually. So now that they become this habit and that's your system, right? And before you know it, you've done it 60, 70, a hundred times and it's no longer forced. It now is easy to do. And if you don't do those things, now your body, your brain says, Hey, what, what happened? We're off track. You know, so there's so many different things there. Um, the next thing that helped me to get to a point of scaling was I, when I first started publishing on Kindle, I was really comfortable with doing it and being behind the scenes and not sharing it with anyone. Not because I'm trying to be selfish, but because I didn't, I just wasn't comfortable with being a teacher. You know, I, I, was, I don't want to teach people. Why do I want to have that responsibility? And then I've had, I had three people in my life who said, this is something that truly works. It's your duty to kind of share it with people because there's so many things that don't actually work out there that people are spending time and money pursuing. So after about, I'd say about eight months to a year of, of these individuals, and again, Greg being one of them saying, hey, you should teach this, you should teach this, you should teach this. I finally said, you know what, if I'm going to teach it, I need to do it in the right way. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put, put it together so that we have uh, proper training, we have the proper support and we have the proper community because you need all of those things to be successful at anything. You look at someone who um, is great at golfing like Tiger Woods, right? Not, the, not this new, not this Tiger. I'm talking about Tiger from back in the day, right? Or Michael Jordan, right? Or Kobe Bryant. They had the, uh, they had the, the, the system which could be the program, the course, the system was. And then they had the support, which is their coaches, right? Uh, and these coaches are usually the people that are behind the scenes sometimes. And then they have the community, which are their fans and their encouragers and their supporters. So 
you need those three components to be successful at anything, I think. Got it. Got it. Definitely. I mean, that, that was like, it's one of those things like when, when every time I hear you speak, it, you put your all into it, right? You're not just half-assing it. You're, you're going to, you're, you're willing to, to exclude all the information that's possible because you want to see people get results. And I love that about you. Um, in addition to that thing, another thing that you brought up was like your inner circle of people, right? You, you talked about Jawah, you talked about Greg Caesar, there's Marty, there's Josh, there's Lenny, the boss. And, and a lot of these people are like either relatives or they're like people that you trained before. How did you formalize, like you have a power team, you have an all-star team. How did you put that team together? Man, and it, it takes time too. So one by one. So you start to see things and people. And so my thing is, you're going to always, when you see a certain level of success, right? Whatever that is success in anything. Um, I'll go back to the record label days. You, you could be an artist. You could be, we'll, we'll use Dr. Dre, right? From NWA. You could be a Dr. Dre and people are going to want to gravitate towards you because they think that an association with you means instant success for them. So he may see, he may see especially in his heyday, he may see where he's getting solicited by 10, 20 people a day, probably more than that. Hey, here's my music. Listen to it, right? But it may take a hundred people before he reaches that one person that's truly serious, in a sense of not so serious about being an artist, but serious about putting in the work, serious about being disciplined, serious about being committed, serious about understanding that it's going to take time for them to level up and get to that next point. It's not going to take, you know, this magic pill and and baby there in, in a twenty four hour period. So I see the same thing. I, I would see people come in every so often and my wife would say, you always give everyone a chance, right? And you end up getting fooled by it because you think everyone's going to work as hard as you. Everyone's going to be as committed. Everyone's going to dream about this stuff all day long. And that, that's usually not the case. But when you do find those people, then you say, okay, I need to bring this person on. And sometimes those people are going to be close to you. They're going to be family. Like Lenny, the boss, is my cousin, right? And sometimes they're going to people that are not family. Uh, Marty and Josh are not related to me. I know uh, Josh through association, someone I'm really good friends with. And then I met Marty in that sense through Josh as well. Um, Jawa and I, we've known each other for a very, very long time uh, when we were both back in the music industry. So, so you start to recognize these traits in people and you say, I need that person, right? This person would be good. And people that are going to feed both ways, meaning you can get from them and they can get from you as well. Because this should never be a one-way street, I don't think. I don't think it should ever be. You know, so, so going back to that Dr. Dre example, so Dr. Dre, he finds the DOC, right, which is an old artist back in the day. So he brings the DOC out. And then he continues, right? He, he finds now Eminem, right? Mega explosive. Exactly. But look at the time period from when he was able to get like the DOC on board and then Eminem. I don't know. Was, was that like 10, 15 years maybe, right? So sometimes you, you find these diamonds in the roughs, but then when you realize that talent, boom. And then he started to associate himself with, himself with like a Kendrick Lamar, right? Not on the same label or anything like that, but he sees the talent in, in Kendrick. He starts to do production work for him. Or someone like The Game, right? Or someone like 50 Cent. And then, again, all of these guys, super talented, but some of them really 
do well, like the M&Ms, like the 50 cents, right? So it's being able to, to say, I got to be selective with who I bring in, but at the same time, let me pay attention to everyone. And you might have to pay attention to a thousand individuals, 10,000 individuals in order to get that one that's really going to put it in. So any one of those guys that can call them up right now, it could be, and I often do this sometimes, it could be two, three o'clock in the morning. Hey, what do you think about this? You know, because I just want to see, are, they, are you still in for the long haul? Mm-hmm. You know, how committed are you? And boom, there you go. Yeah, that, that's definitely interesting philosophy. And obviously the proof is in the pudding. I mean, you're doing it and you're getting results by doing that. So, I mean, just taking that little nugget that you spit on the microphone right now can influence somebody else to do the same thing and grow their business. Um, and so in addition to that, right, so obviously you're at a point now to where I wouldn't say you're on cruise control, because I think you're still increasing, you're still growing, you're still expanding. But on the journey, obviously you hit hurdles. And when you hit those hurdles, how did you overcome those hurdles? Man, honestly, personal development. So, so overcoming those hurdles through personal development. And, and what do I mean by personal development? I mean, continuously um, learning and educating yourself, personal development in the form of self-improvement. So we'll, we'll work on improving our health in the form of fitness, right? So we might go to the gym. We may uh, condition ourselves to eat better. But very rarely are we taught to condition our mind and to work on our mind and to, to continuously put things into our mind that's going to help us to get better and over, overcome the obstacles. You're going to have obstacles left and right, especially as you start to, to, to do more and want more and be more. Like that's the test right there. You're going to have obstacles where, you know, you, if you're a business owner, your merchant account might get shut down. Listen, my Facebook ad account just got disabled yesterday. Right now, before that would have been a major crisis for me, stressing about it, like, oh my God, are you kidding me? But after you, you, you go through that seven, eight, nine, ten times, you're like, hey, it just got disabled. I'll fix it. I'll figure it out. You know, we'll, we'll get it back. And whether we get it back a day from now or a week from now or a month from now, it's fine. Because I think the more obstacles you go through, the more it toughens you the thicker your skin is, right? It's like New Yorkers. I, I always like to, I'm from Connecticut, but I also like, I always like to put myself in a position of a New Yorker because New Yorkers are, are tough, man. Like you got people who go through things and, you know, the New Yorkers will go in a room and of uh, people that they don't know and will try to sell something. And they're not, listen, they don't, they don't worry about what people are going to, to say about them. They don't worry about what people are going to think about them. Hmm. You know, the biggest deterrent that we have to success is our addiction to what people think of us. So when we stop being addicted to what people think of us, whether it's the neighbors, the family, the friends, then we're able to really become uncaged and, and do some things, man. You know, um, we're really able to go out. And I look at New Yorkers as being those individuals that are really seldomly care about what someone thinks about them. I remember being in Harlem, 125th Street, man, and this guy's pushing a buggy of of socks through the streets. And his pitch was, you got feet, I got socks. (laughs) I'm like, that's cold. Wow. 
because he answered the problem, right? You got feet. He's got the solution. Socks. It's crazy. It's crazy. Simple, but he had people buying left and right from him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you definitely bring up a good point. And, and to pull back one of your earlier points, in addition to what you just said, s- systems, right? So everything that you've been talking about is that you've been staging systems. You've been building to systems. You wanted to create a course, but you wanted to do it in the right way, and you wanted to have a system behind it. Right. What systems do you guys have in place right now that supports your business? Man, from, from what standpoint? Because that could go in so many different directions. So let's just, since we're talking about Kindle, just, just keep it streamlined to Kindle. Because I know, I mean, your tentacles go long and far. So let's just keep it in Kindle. <laughs> okay. so, so that support the business as far as the Kindle uh, process goes. So consistently, um, and I think this is important. So consistently, like reinventing yourself, not getting too complacent with... Th- Lack of success or success could both be dangerous. Mm-hmm. So you could be, you could be in a position where, you know, your bills are paid and you can eat what you want. You can drive what you want. You can live where you want. You can vacation when you want. And that could be a very dangerous place because now you don't have that desire, that drive that you may have had when, you know, you needed $3.85 to buy some pork fried rice and chicken wings and you didn't have it. Right. So, being able to, to to continuously stay on the cutting edge of what's working. And I know that kind of sounds cliche, but it's something that I have to consistently stay on top of myself. I'm always reminding myself to not get complacent, to always study the competition, to always be at the top of a food chain for the competition, to always try new things. You know, um, one of the things that we're, we're doing now is just interviewing, you know, our students, and just saying, hey, if you've made a dollar with the program, I want to talk to you. I want to hear about your story. I want to hear about your journey. Because one of the things that that does is it now lets other people that are looking uh, from the outside in see that there's this huge, diverse group of individuals that are being interviewed, that are using this program. And that leads to social proof, right? Well, if you've got this person from China, this person from Malaysia, this person from Atlanta, this person from Bangladesh, and they're all using this program and they're all talking to this tie, that now puts me in this position of authority. It now puts me in a position of comfort to the person that's looking from the outside in. Because if you're from China or Bangladesh, you may feel uncomfortable with talking to an American. Mm-hmm. You may feel uncomfortable with talking to an African-American, right? You might have all of these preconceived notions and think, whatever goes on in your head. But if you see someone else that is kind of like you, whether the only similarity is that you're both foreigners, right? Then now that lowers the, the fear gates a little bit more. And now you're saying, I'm willing to go in and try this program here. Uh, same thing with our community. If you're part of the Facebook uh, community that we have, you'll see that there's a huge variety of people from all walks of life that are there, right? So that was by design. Um, Even being able to build out the team was by design, right? Being, being able to put these, these guys that primarily look like me, um, Marty and Josh tatted up, right? Tats all over the place. And wanting to put them in this position of visibility where they're able to help people that come from the suburbs, that, that people that are older than them, people that are younger than them, people that may have never even looked at them 
as the authority before because we're just looking at them from the outside, right? They're looking at them as the tats and they may have crossed the street before seeing these guys. But now them seeking them out and asking them for help because they know that who they are is much deeper than what they see on the outside. So building out my team in that sense was very in, in, intentional, right? Um, so just doing things like that and, and, and staying on top of um, the direction, consistently revisiting where you want to be, consistently revisiting where um, you're going and how you're going to do that, how you're going to use technology, how you're going to use um, other people to do that. And then just realizing that there's no one person that's at the top of anything, hmm. right? It, it, we go back to the Michael uh, Jordan and the Tiger Woods examples. Those guys have entire teams that help them with everything from their stroke to uh, meaning their golf stroke to their eating habits to their drinking habits to their mental habits, you know? So just, just trying to stay on top in as many ways as possible. Got it. Got it. So with the, you know, you kind of told us a little bit about your background, a little bit about your story. And this is one of the questions that I usually always ask everybody because everybody's answer is uniquely different, but right. the, the time frame is relatively the same. So we always hear about the 20 years it takes someone to become an overnight success and is always perceived to be something that just happened like right. yesterday. How long did it take you to get to where you are currently? Um, I would say... I would say maybe about, let me think about this. I'd say maybe about 10 years. I think you could flatten that, right? I don't think it takes 20 years. So, so here's the thing. So this is another thing I'm always thinking about. So as time goes on and as other people have done what it is that you're trying to do, doesn't necessarily be the same thing, have to be the same thing. Cause I don't think there's anyone, there's no one actually in this space that I looked at and I said, okay, they're great at Kindle publishing. Let me model them. Right. When I was doing this, it was all through trial and error, figuring it out. Mm. Um, but I think that because there's other examples of what can be done, we can get there faster as the time goes by. So now the next person that comes after me, they can get there faster. They kind of look at some of the things that I did and incorporate the things that I do the right way and not use the things that I screwed up at and that I messed up at, right? So I always, going back to the music industry, right? So, and, and I don't know what your audience is like, but hopefully some of these people they know, but if I'm looking at someone like a Russell Simmons, right? Who built out Def Jam Records, right? To build up this conglomerate. And then after that, he had like fat farm clothing and then his wife Kamara had baby fat and everything else. But then you take two young guys, one from Brooklyn, one from Harlem, Jay-Z and Dame Dash, right? And they now want to build off their record company, Rockefeller Records. Uh -huh. They have the Russell Simmons model to look at and say, let's see what Russ did and how can we improve that so that now we can get to where we want to be faster. And they were able to build out Rockefeller Records much faster to the point where they had Rockaway Clothing right? They had films that were in place. They had liquor and everything else. So do you see how that works? Like you have this blueprint, you follow that blueprint and then you tweak it and you add on to it and you're able to, the person, it, it took Russell Simmons, let's say it took him 
you know, 10 years to get where he was at. But now you've got these other guys who are now modeling this. And instead of having to figure it out piece by piece, as Russell Simmons did, you now have this blueprint and you can probably get there in five years or so. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a good point. And it's a good testament to, to your program, right? Kindle Cashflow, right? In that particular program, it was a group of us that all started in last November, December, right? right. And out December, of that, yeah. yeah, and out of that group, I mean, you have some really successful people that are just doing Kindle. I mean, I think Seth yeah. was at, what, 34000 per month. 34000 yeah. Yeah, so, and, and that's, that's his bread and butter. That's his focus. You got other people in there that's anywhere around that, Five thousand, ten thousand dollars a month. So, I mean, coming from a mentor standpoint, I mean, the, being that you have that kind of social proof and that kind of case study, what does that feel for you in an emotional state, knowing that what you took ten years to learn and achieve, yeah. you made it into a system, and now you got other people doing what you did ten years ago, and and they're doing it in months, right? So, yep. Seth has been in the program for like six months or so. You got Nate who's at about 20,000 now a month. And he's been in it for about eight months or so. You got Brian, same thing. Brian's been in it for about six or seven months and he's at about 24, 25,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it feels good and it feels not so good. So they're conflicting feelings. Mm-hmm. Feels amazing to be able to see someone like Seth, right? Who's Seth was making $200,000 a month. I mean, a year. Do you know that? He was making $200,000 a year. And he quit that job to go full-fledged with Kindle Publishing. Like, no one quits a $200,000 a year job to do anything. That's a lot of money. But he saw where this thing works so much that he said, okay, I'm going to go in and, you know, put everything that I have into Kindle Publishing. So now, if you take $34,000 a month times a year, what's that? That's like uh, $340,000 plus so he's over 400,000. He's doubled what he made at his job working for someone else. Working, he said he was working like 70 hours a week. Right? So he has, and he has three little girls. I think all of his girls are under the age of 5 or 6 or something like that. So now he's able to spend that time with his little girls at home all day. Spend that time with his wife. So from that standpoint it it it, it feels amazing. It feels incredible. But it's also you know, I want to, I want to save everyone. I want to help everyone, but it's disappointing when you get the person that comes into the program and they don't do anything. I mean, they don't, when I say anything, they don't watch, you know, more than the first or second module. Mm -hmm. And that is disappointing because you know that if they go in and if they use it and if they implement it, they will get results. So that I'm, I'm consistently working on how do I, how do I get that person to do more, do more. So we just re- really uh, revised the program recently. And part of um, the very beginning of it is that personal development, that self-improvement training, things that have worked for me, right? Because I know how valuable that has been in my life. If it had not been for personal development and self-improvement, I wouldn't be here right now. Because when you go through the obstacles, especially when you go through something heavy, you're going to give up. When you come to a roadblock without having that, that toughness, that mental toughness, you're going to give up. So it's, it's a gift and a curse there. It's, it's the, the gift is, again, being able to help people that truly go, get into the program and follow. But then the curse is, how do you get that person to actually just, you know, instead of just paying money for the course, go through it, like start it. Got it. Got it. 
I mean, yeah, I think that's definitely a testament to, to who you are as far as a business person, a family person, and, and you're uniting all these different elements of your personality into a yeah. system that's your business. Um, so my, my next question for you is, I mean, what's one thing that you would have done differently if you could do it all over again? Um, let's see. One thing that I would have done differently if I could do it all over again. <laughs> There's a few things. Um, probably not being the face of the program as much. That's, that's a gift and a curse sometimes as well. Right. Uh, but building out a team sooner. So, so that's one of the things I would have done is building out a team sooner, understanding like the importance of not, not wanting to do it all yourself. One of the things as entrepreneurs that we suffer from is, um, Man, we, we think that we can wear our hats. Like we want to be the jack of all trades, right? And it and it actually costs us a lot. So when I first started publishing books, trying to create my covers myself, trying to write the content myself, I said I'm not a writer, right? So knowing my lane, knowing what I'm good at, understanding what my strengths are, and then also knowing what my weaknesses are and being okay with relinquishing power so that the things that I'm not good at or the things that I don't care to do, I can have someone else do. Uh, customer support was a, a big thing that I screwed up at the very beginning. Screwed it up big time. People, customers would send in emails and I wouldn't get to them for a week or two weeks later if I ever got to them. You know, so bringing on customer support to handle that because I know it wasn't a, a strength of mine. Um, some of the other things, honestly, is thinking 10 times bigger thinking 10 times bigger, man, and probably, you know, 50 times bigger or so. Because we always set these goals, depending on what it is that you want to do, you're going to set a goal, right? You have to have this goal of getting there. How are you going to get to that end result? And usually we set these goals that we're comfortable with. We set these goals that we think we can achieve, right? We think the, we set these goals that we, we think will impress us or impress the people that are around us. And in and, and most cases, we're shooting too low. We're not stretching ourselves. No one uses their full potential, right? Even if you look at someone like an Elon Musk, who's built out Tesla, who's got SpaceX, who's, who, who came from, you know, building out PayPal and all of this other stuff. There's still so much more that someone like an Elon Musk could do. Someone like a Jeff Bezos could do. I think Jeff Bezos is great at, at, at thinking huge, right? Thinking big. I think Elon is... But the average guy or, or gal that's, that's watching this, we are thinking, including myself, we are thinking too small. So I would have done that. I think I would have thought a lot bigger. Yeah, I mean, that's, 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 that's a very serious topic that you just brought up. Because in, in the reality is, is when you look at a situation, if I say my goal is going to be 10000 a month, right? Mm -hmm. And if I miss that goal, I may hit it eight. Goes back to the conversation with Jawad that you was talking about. Your yep. goal was 30, but you hit 10. And in that 10, you're like, okay, that's an achievement. But in reality, if you had aimed for 70000 you probably would have hit maybe fifty or 60000 striving for the bigger goal. So just people, if nothing else, rewind that part back. Yeah when you're watching this, right? And listen to that part over and over again, because that's really the keys to success is really aiming for something that stretches your vision, stretches who you are as a person to get more achievement out of you versus shortchanging yourself in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, Les Brown says, um, shoot for the moon. Cause if you miss, at least you'll still land on the stars. So shoot, shoot high, shoot high. 
got it. So do you come from an entrepreneurial background? I mean, was your mom or your dad, anybody in your, in your ancestry, are they entrepreneurs? No, not at all, man. Not at all. Um, no, not at all. So it's, it took a lot, you know, for, that's what I'm saying. So it, it, it took a lot. So again, that, that gives you the benefit, right? So it gives you the advantage, um, where if, if you don't, sometimes you have to be so ignorant in what you think, and, I, and I'll explain it, so ignorant in what you think you're capable of that you don't know that you can't do it. Oh. You know, so, so, so if you, sometimes if you have this roadmap, or if you have some guidance, or if you have someone that's done it, you may be a little bit relaxed because you, you might say, okay, I've got the support system. But, you know, there's other times when you might say, well, you know, I think this is how it should be done. I'm going to go out and try it. And you could be doing things wrong, but you don't know that you're doing things wrong, right? You could be doing things in a way that for most that know better, it would cause them to fail. But because you don't know better and you don't know that it could cause you to fail, you end up seeing this amount of success. I did a lot of things, you know, uh, coming up, I'm sure, that would have caused me to fail had I known it, had I been aware. Our, our level of awareness can help us or it can hurt us, hmm. right? So, so knowing that you shouldn't eat this before you go out and work out, right, plays this trick on your mind. So that your mind says, hey, we ate this, we're doomed for failure. This workout is not going to be any good. But having that false belief that I ate this, man, this is going to give me so much power. I'm going to be incredible with this workout. It's going to be the best workout ever. Your mind is now tricked into believing that as well, right? Your, your mind does not know what actually is truth or what's actually, you know, false. It works on what we give it. So if you give it things that are going to empower it, that are going to make it believe that you're heading in the right direction, guess what? You're heading in the right direction. And sometimes you don't have to know everything. You don't have to have all of the pieces in place. I think that's the other thing that I see as it relates to people that are successful with uh, staying on point with Kindle publishing versus not being successful. Oh. But people that are not as successful as those that are, are very analytical. Like they have to follow everything step by step to the T, right? And they overanalyze every single thing, every single thing and question everything versus the people like Seth, right? We use them again. They'll just jump in and boom, they're going, right? And figuring it out later, right? So they're failing fast and, and self-correcting and then moving on. Gotcha, gotcha. So just going into like your, your family life, right? And I had opportunity to, to meet some of your family members, you know, King Tyler. So how do you juggle your work life with your family life? That's a good question. I don't think there is there's such a thing as balance. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we'll hear people talk about balance, right? I think balance is bogus. I think there's going to be periods where you put more of this in than this, right? So there's times when I put more into the family when we're just chilling we're just doing whatever we have to do you know we're just spending time we're vacationing or whatever and then work is i wouldn't say on a back burner because i i believe that you should do every something every single day in in your work or in your business but it's not the full focus right family might be the full focus then there's other times when business is 
the primary focus, right? So there'll be times when I'll tell my wife, if I'm working on a major project, I'll tell my wife and the kids, I'm like, hey, daddy needs the next week uninterrupted, right? Now that's excluding emergencies and things like that. Obviously, if you need something, you need to talk and then you come in. But if it's if it's something that is not super important, then I need this uninterrupted time for the next week or the next 24 hours or the next day or the next 30 minutes or whatever it may be. Um, so it's, it's, it's being able to take things piece by piece, day by day, and say what's truly important at this moment versus um, you see some entrepreneurs that have a hard time with balance because they don't know how to separate those points, right? So they'll put all of your energy into something for years. And then, you know, you get to this four or five year period and you look back, you realize that you've lost your family, but you've gained this. So you have to be careful with that. That's a great question. Yes, that's a insightful answer for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so what's your morning habits, your morning routines? What do those look like? Yeah, so the first thing is um, I like to keep some, some water around. So I'll keep like these, uh, not, not necessarily this one, I'm just trying this alkaline water. Uh, but I'll keep bottles of water like on my nightstand or in my bathroom counter. So the first thing when I get up, uh, brushing my teeth and I'm, I'm drinking a bottle of water, right? So that uh, what, what happens is overnight we, we tend to get dehydrated overnight, right? Because we're not consuming liquid, liquid and things like that. Um, so the first thing is to get that cellular activity back up, right? And to kind of wake yourself up. You put some liquid into yourself and water is the best thing, right? We, we were told orange juice and things like that, but orange juice has so much sugar in it um, that it can kill you. Even if you like coffee, like I've got an energy drink here right now. So we're about to do some video filming and I need to get my energy levels up. But even before that, a bottle of water, a glass of water is going to be the most important thing for me. It's going to be the first thing. After that, I'm jumping in the shower. Then after that, I'm going in and I'm working out. Um, I like to keep some barbells by my bathroom uh, counter as well because it, it's habit stacking. So I'm doing this. When, when you stack your habits, it makes it easier for you to make sure that you go through those habits daily. So first habit, bottle of water, right? It's there. And then what you'll do is you'll chain these habits together so that this one, when you consume the water, it triggers the next habit. So for me, the next habit is jumping in the shower, right? And then I'll take some supplements after that. Um, I like to take vitamin D for mood and balance control, uh, keep you in a positive mood. Uh, I've got sickle cell anemia, as I mentioned earlier. So I take some supplements to help maintain uh, my sickle cell anemia and help me to stay healthy. Um, after I get out of the shower, the, the weights, the barbells are right there. So I'm lifting those, right? And I'm working at as I'm brush, uh, doing other things, right? As I continue to groom. Then after that, once I get dressed, I'm coming down and I'm going to read for a couple of minutes. So again, habit stacking and placement and setting up your environment so it makes it easy. So I'll keep my books in an area where it's easy for me to go in and grab them and they're visible. And then after that, in this book, I have my uh, notepads. So in the book, again, creating the environment, I'm going in, I'm writing out my goals here. So I'm spending some time doing that. Then after that, I'm going in and I'm meditating in a chair that you can't see, it's behind here, for uh, 10 minutes. So all of those habits are chained 
together. And it takes me about an hour to, to finish all of those things. Um, this morning I didn't do it because I had uh, someone coming in to work on the fireplace, but about an hour. And before I used to always wonder like, I don't like an hour is a, a significant amount of time. Like I got so many other things to do, but I find that the meditation helps with slowing things down. Right. And understanding that if you don't discipline yourself to do the other things, first thing in the morning, the rest of the stuff really doesn't matter. You're not going to be as effective with the rest of the stuff. You're just going to be chasing your tail. The other thing is to get that hour. Sometimes you just wake up an hour earlier and boom, there it is. You know, so the discipline and, and doing things is going to help you out big time because if you develop that discipline and the discipline of waking up an hour earlier now helps you to have that same discipline to do the other things that you may not want to do in your business or in your life that's going to help you to be successful in those areas. So it all ties in together. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So I mean, so what, what time do you usually wake up on average? Uh, usually about seven o'clock now. Okay. Yeah. So seven o'clock, man, before COVID, I was at this like five o'clock, five thirty period when COVID hit, you know, you, you start getting a little bit relaxed. The wife is not getting up to go to work. You, you're staying in bed a little bit, but about seven o'clock right now. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So like a little funny side note story. I don't think I, I had opportunity to tell you this. Like when we first met in December and we ended up crossing paths in the gym. Uh-huh. Yep. And, and, and I think I, I remember, I was like, okay, I, I just want to get in front of Ty. I just want to just be in the room with Ty just to kind of, you know, I'm not going to embody him with questions, right. but I just know just by being in the room with you, naturally things will progress. And, I, and so the, earlier that day, I think I heard, I heard you mention to somebody who was talking in casual conversation about going to the gym. Uh-huh. And, I was, and, and I knew you woke up early and I was like, I don't know what time is he going to be at the gym, but I know my ass was going to be at the gym before you got to the gym. <laughs> so, so I got up at like 4.30 that morning and right. I was at the gym from like literally 4.45. I was like, I'm going to work out uh-huh. until Ty walks in this damn gym. Man, that's a beautiful thing. But <laughs> at, and at that time, I was waking up around 5 o'clock because Anik was like, I don't know how you do it, man. I'm like, how, you know, um, but, but that's, that's a beautiful thing. That right there, that's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. Like that took discipline mm. because uh, at that event, we probably ended out the night probably late or so, right? You probably went to your room and did something. If, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think you had said something that we had talked about in the event you went back to your hotel and worked on, yep. if I'm not mistaken. Um, so when you do those events, the days are long. Right. And they could be tiring because you're sitting there. I don't know how it is for the audience, but when you're on stage and you're talking for, you know, eight, 12 hours a day or whatever it may be, it becomes kind of tiring. But that, that goes back to the discipline, right? That goes back to the discipline that you had to be there in the room, in the gym, in the morning before we started this, this long day the next day. Mm-hmm. So it speaks to who you are. It speaks to why you're successful in the way that you're successful. Because again, Man, to, to, and I just shot a video and I put it in our Facebook group this morning about this, talking about discipline and being disciplined enough to, number one, buy the course because I see a lot of people who say, hey, I'm going to piece this thing together, right? I don't need the course. But being disciplined to buy the course, being disciplined enough to go through the course, being the actions, then being disciplined enough to follow up and repeat those actions, mm-hmm. right? So... If we can get past again, but but discipline in our head, 
and then get past being addicted to what I said earlier, addicted to what people think of us or what people will say, we could become Superman, Superwoman. It's true. Yep. Definitely true. So where do you see yourself in 20 years? But hold on. Let's go back to this. Uh, 440, okay. You were 445 in a <laughs> I wasn't sure what time you was going to walk in the gym. So I was like, I got I to at least be Ooh. in the gym before you get in the gym. So I was like, all right. I'm going to wake up at 4.30 and get my ass in the gym before you get there. So that's a, that's a beautiful thing. I don't know if you – when I was on stage at one point, I was talking about – because me, Marty, and Josh – well, more me and Josh, because Marty's a late sleeper. We, we were really in competition with, like, going to the gym. Did you, did you hear us talk about that at all? I think it was probably that, – that's how I figured out that you guys were going to go to the gym okay. the next day. Yeah. It was me, Marty, Josh, and Rodney. Rodney's also – and Rodney is actually family. He's my wife's cousin. Got it. So – uh. Yeah, we were like, man, I got to beat these guys. And so having that type of environment, right? So it's good to have people that are in your, your circle. And, you know, we don't see each other on a regular basis. Like me, Marty, Josh, they li- I live in North Carolina. They live in North Carolina. Rodney lives in North Carolina. But we don't, it's not like we see each other. Uh, we probably don't even see each other more than every, once every couple of months. Right? But, so, 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 but having this, this group of individuals, whether it's just one person, like it was just me and Jawar at the beginning, uh-huh. or whether you got three, four, five people, right, that you can bounce ideas off of that are open-minded thinkers and people that are not afraid of letting you know when you're off course and, and, and again, you being receptive of that is super important, super important. So now, going back, where do I see myself 20 years from now? Man, I see myself 20 years from now doing even more than what I'm doing now. I, I, I want to be like, I'm going to be, right? Because the words are not, when you say want, it's open, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that it, the intention, Open Winfrey says intentions rule the world. I'm going to be this person that people get so much motivation and inspiration from, you know, uh, seeing this older guy that is still doing it and running circles around the 20 year olds and 30 year olds and having fun doing it. Like you got to have fun doing it. You know, as you noticed that with our event, right, we, we have, we have fun with the events. We build these relationships. We, we want to go out and just be yourself. I think it's important to be yourself. So at that 20 years from now, if I'm this older guy that curses and says, you know, some weird off the chart things, so be it. Got it. Yeah. Right? But I want to have fun with it, man. And uh, I'm going to have fun with it. And, and just having people from around across the planet visiting. I see, you know, it's taking this thing, um, not just Kindle publishing, but digital publishing, which I think is even more important than Kindle publishing. Mm-hmm. And we could talk about that if you want. But educating as many people as possible to the importance of owning intellectual property, creating passive recurring income, through the use of digital property, owning digital property like digital real estate. I think that that changes the landscape for so many people. It, it, when you have economics, it, when you know how to make money and when it's not difficult, it changes things for you as the individual. It changes your household environment. It changes people that uh, are part of your, your nationality, your culture, whatever you want to call it, your neighborhood because you feel better about it. And when you feel better about stuff, you want to take care of it and 
You know, my mom used to always say that there's importance in, in home ownership. And, I, and this is going a little bit of a different direction, but, but here's how it connects. She used to always say that there's importance of, of and the importance in owning your home. Now, here's this lady who didn't have a college degree, right? Barely made it out of high school, was from the South, but she knew that if you owned your own home, in the area where we lived at, where there was trash and there was graffiti and everything, if you owned your own home versus renting it, you were more likely to keep it up mm-hmm. because there's this pride that comes along with having ownership. You're not going to destroy and screw up things that you own versus when you don't have any skin in the game, you're renting it, then, you know, so what? I'll move somewhere else once this gets screwed up. Mm-hmm. So going back to the economic empowerment, my mission is to empower as many people as possible and doing that through uh, helping them to create um, digital real estate and the, 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 the financial freedom that comes along with that because I think it makes you feel better and then in turn you spread that out to everyone else and it becomes contagious. People want to be around you. Like people want to know. I had a brother in here who just now, uh, one of our fireplaces was acting up and he came in and he starts looking around and the first thing he's like, man, well, what do you do? And now that's a segue. I'm, I'm able to talk to him. Hey, brother, here's what I do, man. Hit me up. Give you my phone number. Call me. You know, let, let me. So uh, I, I'm, listen, I like, I like, I like cars, right? So cars are my thing. Um, I'm not really, I don't consider myself to be a fancy person, meaning, right, using money to just buy all of these things and be, fancy with it and you know have but i do think that if you have a nice car a nice home it now gets people to ask you questions like this brother that asked a question hey what do you do so now that allows me to go in and reach more people right so sometimes i'll talk about money because i know that that's the magnet for people right or talk about unfortunately right so going back to the music tupac so Pac was a smart guy, very intelligent guy, but he knew that he had to talk about certain things in order to reach the youth of people that were in the streets and people that thought that they can relate to him because they perceived him to be this one person. His mission was to reach those people and then flip that and now spread this other message of love, you know, um, building your communities, uh, caring for your women and everything else, right? So he had to first capture their attention. And sometimes you have to use this thing to capture their attention. So that's it. Gotcha, gotcha. So, I mean, that's a really good segue to, like, what's your final words of wisdom for someone that wants to step into to, to your shoes, right? They want to follow in your shadows and they, they want to grow up to essentially be like you. Right. What, what would you tell them? Man, I will tell them to start first by, if, if you're interested in Kindle publishing or digital publishing, um, you can go over and, and get a copy of my new book. This is Kindle Publishing Secrets. This is volume one. Uh, if you go over to kindlecashflow.com and register for free, you'll get a free digital copy of this. Or you can go to tycohen, T-Y-C-O-H-E-N.com and get a copy as well. Um, regardless of what it is that you're looking to do, 
I think the first thing is to, uh, as I said before, work on your self-discipline, do something in your business every single day, do something in your craft every day. You know, I, I used to get crazy looks from family members, right? I would be on vacation and uh, I, I got my laptop, I'm on the beach and I'm opening it up and I'm doing something for 15, 20 minutes. Ty, you're on vacation, you're not supposed to be working? No, I'm going to be working because I want to be able to take a vacation anytime I want to. Damn right. <laughs> you know? So you have to do, look at what most are doing and go in the other op, the opposite direction. But just start. And if you ever have any questions, reach out to me. My cell phone number is area code 203-526-6031. Send me a text. Don't give me a call because I probably won't recognize the number. But if you send me a text and you say, hey, I was on uh, Chanel's podcast. My name is so-and-so. How can you help me out? I'll definitely reach out to you. Got you. So how else could they find you on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter? Yeah, everywhere at Ty Cohen, T-Y-C-O-H-E-N. Um, uh, and if you don't find me at T-Y-C-O-H-E-N, look for C-O-H-E-N, Ty. All right, so it'll be my first name, last name, or last name, first name. Instagram, it's Cohen Ty. Facebook, it's Ty Cohen. Twitter, it's Ty Cohen. Uh, what else we got? TikTok, if you want to see my daughter doing some, <laughs> making me do some crazy dances, it's Cohen Ty on TikTok. That's it. Gotcha. So I got a couple bonus questions for you, all right? Yeah. If you could spend 24 hours a day with anybody dead or alive, uninterrupted, who would it be and why? Man, that's a good question. 24 hours. You know what? It would be, it would probably be... Man, it, you know, it would probably be like Nelson Mandela or Barack Obama, you know, um, you know, Malcolm X. Uh, I always thought Malcolm X was this very, he's someone who took where he was at, you know, his, his beginnings of this, this person that was a criminal and that, you know, was really living a destructive life. Then he went on to educate himself, right? He went on to morph into this butterfly and had a mission to help as many people as possible. And then as he got older and started to continue to, along this, this path of learning more, he changed that mission from just helping uh, black folks to now incorporating anyone, like of all colors. And that was at, at the end of his life. So just being able to, to get into his mind and say, you know, what, what were you thinking? And like, how did you, how did you get to that point? Same with Mel Nelson Mandela, same with, you know, Barack Obama. I look at president Barack Obama. I look at, um, when he was running, right. The energy that he had the first time, the energy that he had and like the work ethic and, you know, where do you get this fuel to do what it is that you want to do? And I think if you look at, how regardless of if you like him or if you hate him, you have to admit that he was running against the odds and he made that thing of becoming president true. We don't have any excuses. No one, regardless of who we are. You know, Ty Cohen that's born with six cell anemia that, you know, saw his uh, family members or friends get killed and go to jail, doesn't have any excuses. Uh -huh. If this guy can come in and become president, Regardless of what you're going through, you don't have any excuses. Got it. Yeah. So my last bonus question is, considering that, you know, you're 
a multimillionaire and you have all these people following you, you're coaching people, you're helping other people become millionaires themselves. Outside of all those things, right? Or collectively with all those things, what is your most significant achievement to date? Um, that's a really that's a really good one, man. And it 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 is being able to uh it's being able to show people that you know, you, you can, you can, you can have these obstacles. You can, you can have, um, things that would have stopped you multiple things, right? If you look at my life story, there's multiple things, dozens of things that would have stopped me before, or not, not even before that could have stopped me, but being able to push through it. I, I I'm fascinated with stories of people that experience obstacles and they're able to push through it, you know, the Nelson Mandela's, right? So someone like that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated. Anyone that has gone through a period of slavery, uh, meaning slaves at that time and being able to, instead of giving up, you know, and, 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 and still pushing through DJ quick, uh, artist from the West coast. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, but he says, um, you know, he, he talks about in one of his songs, some things that he was going through, some trials and tribulations. He says, you know, either I'm going to be strong or I'm going to break down and cry about it. Hmm. So whenever I'm going through an obstacle, I, I kind of remember that verse, from, that one verse from quick. And he's like, you know, either I'm going to be strong or I'm going to, you know, and I'm like, boom, I got to go. Hmm. Hmm. No time for, for sitting here thinking about it. Yeah, I so. definitely, I definitely, um, appreciate i mean that that answer because i mean majority of people would have answered that answer with okay financially i am here and then like you're more of a philosopher when i really listen to you and hear what you're saying like your ideologies is completely different than just making money yeah 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 it's i think it's cool you know it's, it's fine you know I, I i like having the money and making money and stuff like that but i think that being able to impact people is very rewarding it's it's a very cool thing to see and to see different people like people from all walks single mom or the, the mom that's married you know or it, it's the, the, the wife who used to be married to you know the rich guy and you know now she's on her own it's it's just it's just very cool to see all of these people from such a wide range of backgrounds coming together and using this one thing to get to this area where they want to be Got it. Got it. So this is the part of the podcast where, you know, I usually take my microphone and I pass it to you. Do you have any questions for me? Yeah, man. What, what got you involved in podcasting? Like what made you say, Hey, I want to become a podcaster. I want to start interviewing people. Um, you're great at it. So what, what got you involved there? Well, well, first and foremost, my, my wife has always been telling me that I needed to step in front of the camera. I needed to become the face of the brand, much like what you did with um, Kendall Cashflow. And I'm, I was always a behind the scenes guy. And, you know, I wanted to kind it's of really comfortable being behind the scenes, right? Extremely comfortable. Yep. So I had to, you know, pretty much two years ago, I had a stroke, made a full recovery from that stroke and coming out the yep. hospital, I was like, I'm going to change everything. Mm. And so that's when I got on my journey and I got into the Kindle and in part, I was like, okay, Kindle is a great tool, but how could I expand on the Kindle platform? And I'm like, right. I have a database. I've been in business since like 2000. So I've had a lot of contacts at all business owners and I wanted to give them an opportunity to showcase who they were, mm -hmm. use my network to expand their growth 
and right. also take some insight from them to be able to deliver the people that may have never even heard of myself or heard of them and see some results. You know, like today, for example, I, I've been thinking about getting you on this show since I started in February. What took you so long, man? Well, I, I just wanted to kind of, you know, like you said, I'm good at it now because I've, I've honed my craft. You know, right. I, I've been doing it since February at this point in time, and I've interviewed some some high-profile people as well. I was starting to feel bad. I'm looking at all the interviews. I'm like, when's he going to call? When is he going to reach out <laughs> to me? He's got, he's got Greg on. He's got this person. Yeah. So I... I was starting to feel some type of way about myself, man. No, 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 no. I just I wanted to make sure when I got you on that I had the right questions and the right tools, but I wanted to, right. to be able to take the content that I knew you was going to deliver, which you did, right. and be able to have the platform and the following to absorb that information. I didn't want it to go to waste, per se. So right. I think everything happens for a reason. So that's why I got into it. I was like, okay, how can I help more people understand that entrepreneurship is not really – uh, a task is a journey and there's two different ways of looking at it and hurdles are going to come, but like anything else, you have to overcome those hurdles and keep progressing forward. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to see some, you know, the, the, the bigger, you, the bigger you dream and the bigger you get, you're going to see some things. You're going to see some things. And the thing is you will welcome those problems. You welcome those obstacles because now it, it's like paying taxes, right? Now, legally you want to pay what you should be paying. But when you get to a point where you're paying more taxes, you can't look back and, oh, my God, wow, I got to pay all of this. As long as you've taken the deductions and you've done everything legally within the tax code that allows you to pay the minimum, you should be happy to be able to, to, to be in a position where you're paying those taxes, right? Because it now means that you're at a different level now. Um, that's something that through experience I had to gain, right, and, and get an understanding of. But, and then you, you want to say, hey, next year I want to be paying more taxes, because now that means that you made even more, right? Um, but again, within um, what you should should legally be paying. So this was fun. I had a lot of lot of good good. Uh, definitely, good definitely. Well, I definitely appreciate you taking time out your day. I mean, it was it was a, it's a hell of an episode. A hell of a lot of nuggets that you dropped. A lot of information. And again, I mean. Just be, having you in my circle as a coach and a mentor, I definitely appreciate everything that you're doing for me and for other entrepreneurs. And I appreciate having you on the show. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762 762- Two three three boss. That's seven six two two three three two six seven seven. I would love to hear from you. Remember to become a boss in cage. You have to release your inner beast. S. A. Grant signing off. Listeners of Boss and Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host S. A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.